Welcome to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and thanks very much for downloading this podcast. I'm Mark Stephen. Arguably, Scottish farming is facing the biggest change in how it operates and how it's structured and in how it does business in nearly 50 years. Nobody knows for sure what the future will hold, and the only thing we can say with any certainty is that things are going to be different, but in what way? Joining me today to talk about their visions for the way ahead are two people. Uh, Martin Kennedy is the new NFUS president. Martin's a tenant farmer in Aberfeldy and farms with his wife Jane and three daughters. They've got 600 ewes and 60 cows on what I think is fair to describe as upland ground, in that it rises from 800 feet to 2,500. Martin's been on the inside track of discussions between the industry and the Scottish and UK governments over the last four years, having been NFUS Vice President. Peter Moss describes himself as an Angus and Shorthorn beef farmer with a couple of handy sidelines in hot tubs and wind turbines. I'm sure he'll explain that himself. He also happens to be NFUS Next Generation Chair. Now, the Next Generation Committee brings together a diverse range of young farmers, new entrant farmers and crofters, and they have a presence on all NFU Scotland commodity committees and regional boards. I'm going to start with you for a start, Martin. Uh, First up, a personal question. What made you want to get involved with the union in the first place? I think it was trying to strive to to try and do more for the industry, trying to get the industry in a better footing and get a better voice. I mean, I think what brought me in right at the very start was just going along to local branch meetings as a young farmer a long time ago. And and I just felt this is an organisation that's definitely going places and got a real voice for every sector because it's quite challenging when there's such a diverse amount of food production systems in Scotland to have one body that can actually, you know, have a voice collectively for all these sectors. So that was, um, I thought, NFU Scotland is the, the, certainly the key organisation to be involved in that and, 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 and the right um, sort of vehicle to get our message across. Same question to you, Peter. Why did you get involved? Well, my father was uh, quite heavily involved up here in Orkney and then a few years and um, I grew up kind of looking, watching him going to meetings and discussing stuff and I think I saw how effective any of you were at, um, at fighting our corner in quite a lot of instances and uh, things like the less favour area scheme and things like that that is vital to farming in Orkney. Um, I saw how um, our lobbying and how making a case and putting it forward to, um, through any of you was, gives us a stronger voice. So uh, then... When I went through Young Farmers, I got the chance then to kind of join the Next Generation Committee. Martin, I, I read your statement when you became president. You cited three potential key areas of big change, things that you need to concentrate on. Food production, obviously, because that's what farmers do, but also climate change and environmental targets. So let's take them one at a time. What is your vision for food production? My vision for, for food production is to uh, allow Scottish agriculture to still provide that in a sustainable manner. So, and I think that, that it must take into account um, a sort of holistic approach to how we look at food production. So it takes into account climate change mitigation and it takes into account environmental enhancement. So my vision is not to look at any of these three things in silos, is to take a holistic approach so that all three can benefit from each other. Because there's so many of it is overarching and interrelated. It's not three completely separate subjects. So I see this being a great opportunity. Yes, there's absolutely challenges in front of us, but a massive opportunity. And let's not forget in terms of food production and doing it sustainably, we're starting off from a really good position in Scotland. 
Yeah, well, look, having effectively torpedoed my next two questions, and, and thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, because you don't want to silo it, and I can understand that. I mean, that's, that, that's a great phrase, and it's a great statement. How do you do it? Because obviously you have to deal with economic realities. You're still going to have to deal with the same consumers, the same supermarkets, etc. Well, when I say you don't look at things in, in silos, what I'm meaning, and, and this is this is definitely relevant to this holistic approach, when you look at some, some of the sort of easy wins we can have at the minute, looking at soil health. So soil health is is um, absolutely vital that's what we that's what food production really comes down to um, regardless of where you are in the world so looking after soil health and getting the productivity of that soil health in tip-top condition is a massive benefit in the bottom line of any agricultural product that we're producing because that's the crops that we're growing to feed animals or it's the crops that we're growing to feed ourselves as well but the benefit of looking after soil health is is uh, two or threefold in fact because from a climate change point of view, we've got a massive opportunity to increase the organic matter in our soils. So from a climate change point of view, the more we can do that, the less reliance we have on artificial fertilizer, the more productive. So productivity is all about producing more from less, not about producing more uh, quantum in total. But so that is a huge benefit when it comes to climate change mitigation. So that's an, a, a benefit to the environment. So soil, looking at soil health covers all three of these. So if we look at it, if we were to look at it just as a single issue, and we look at it from soil health at a in a, in a health situation, I mean, we, we're trying to be as productive as we can in the low ground here with the continental cows, and we're probably less productive on the hill with our hill cows. But our hill cows do a lot more. When you look at simply the carbon footprint of the cows, it's maybe not quite as good because of the length of time it takes for these cattle to mature. But the benefits the hill cows have in terms of biodiversity and for the environment is massive. So we can't look at these things in silos, because if we focused on the most productive unit we have here is probably our continental cows producing fast growing quality beef. Yes. But when it comes to the Highlanders, from that perspective, you think, well, why do you bother with them? Well, the benefits of them is they're still producing a high quality product, but looking after the environment and climate change uh, mitigation as well. So there's a, that's why we have to take this holistic approach and we can't afford to look at things in silos. What's your thoughts on that, Peter? Going forward, we've got to be able to promote our the benefits that we're doing from grazing, from the from having these animals livestock on the ground. And I think the, it's been a very one way street this last while. Um, livestock's very been demonised, and it's all been the emissions that we put out. But I think, like Martin says, soil health is paramount to what we do. And I think we've got a fantastic story in Scotland to sell that. And I think this is actually just starting to come in the mainstream now. There's been films like Sacred Cow and Kiss the Ground, where so the benefits of soil health and the carbon sequestration and um, grazing correctly on the ground um, is really starting to come through. And I think we've got huge potential as an industry to promote the good that we're doing and the all-around product that we're doing. And the beef is the, the, the key driver of that. Martin, am I misrepresenting the situation here? That, you know, if, if you'd stood up at an NFUS meeting 10, maybe 15 years ago, and started talking about soil health, talking the way you're talking now, you either would have been met with blank stares or booed off the stage. Yeah, maybe both, Mark. Um, yeah. <laughs> one at a time, one at a time. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that's right. And and, and realistically, I think um, the way policy directions led us that way, and, and I think it's been challenging. There's never been an awful lot of money at agriculture, so it's challenging to do things. And I think, you know, when we look back at our sort of fathers and grandfathers, what they did 
with soil health and you go back to the fundamentals of dung and lime in the ground, that's what produced organic matter that made your soil fertile. Um, and sadly, you know, a lot of us have maybe neglected that slightly. And I know personally speaking, we've noticed a big difference since we've paid more attention to ourselves over the last few years again. And that is a benefit in the bottom line of what we're doing in the farm, but it's also an environmental benefit and environmental gain as well when it comes to climate change mitigation, less inputs required uh, because we're actually looking after that soil health. So, yeah, so as an industry, I think we've got to take a bit of this on the chin, quite honestly. And uh, there's some people will take issue with that, but looking at the arable sector, the arable sector are probably leading this far better than what the livestock um, side is maybe doing. When you look at what's happening, some of the reports we've already seen out now, scientific reports has highlighted that Scottish arable soils haven't lost any carbon over the last 30 years. And that's huge credit to what they've been doing. They've been doing things like lime application, variable rate, nutrient application for a number of years now and, and paying particular attention to soils. So that needs to be right across the whole industry. And, 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 I, and I see this as a, an opportunity to get the industry, the whole industry to buy into this, um, uh, sort of looking at soil health as we go forward. Peter, are you starting to notice, I mean, obviously farming's at the sharp end. But, you know, you, you deal with companies that produce artificial fertilizers and pesticides and insecticides and things like that. So are, are they beginning to change their med- messaging? Yes, I think so. I think as an industry, um, I think there's acceptance that we've got to be more accountable for the inputs we're putting on our, on our soils. And um, I think probably there's probably more a push on efficient, effective and efficient use of the inputs that we're putting on. And um, I think, yeah, like Martin says, there's a huge amount of work going into variable rate application. Um, and I think some of the companies are actually at the forefront of that. Yara's got their variable rate uh, spreaders that can, the sensors that can sense what the ground needs. And I think there's an acceptance that we can't just carry on this path of just throwing stuff on and hoping for the best. I think we've got to really do it as a target approach. Martin, what's your vision for the red meat sector, particularly over the next four years? I think my vision for the red meat sector is is getting recognition for what it's actually doing at the minute. And my vision is certainly maybe to educate, maybe sometimes the educators as well, because as Pete said earlier on, there's some serious misinformation out there just now. And I know sort of my, my kind of three priorities, the first one's getting a policy, forward policy correct going forward. But I'd really want to see food production and the environment on the national school curriculum. There's so much misinformation going out there just now. And as Pete said, especially on the beef front, we know there's emissions, comes from all all, um, types of agriculture. And beef's the one that's getting the real kick in. But quite often the bit that's forgotten is, yes, there is emissions and methane in particular is seriously bad um, for the climate. But there's to be recognition that methane is actually indeed a flow pollutant and not a stock pollutant, which means that through photosynthesis, that methane, as it breaks down, is short or lived. And as it breaks down, it's taken back into the soil through photosynthesis as well. So that's a, you know, that's something that's never ever, you know, never ever talked about. So you know, if we can be more efficient with what we're doing, we're we're actually part of the solution here. And Scotland's got, yeah, we complain about the rain sometimes, but we are green because of the rain and you know we're using livestock to turn forage that we cannot eat into a high quality source of protein that um, is the envy of many across the globe that can't do that because of our natural sort of climatic conditions in Scotland so we're ideally placed to do that and and of course livestock are good for biodiversity as well because as livestock dung back on the ground as well put dung and manure back on the ground again that's increasing um, organic matter which hopefully done in the proper way um, increases our ability to store more carbon so it's about that the red meat sector i think provided we get the education side 
correct. I see us having a, a positive future because we're well placed in Scotland when it comes to, to red meat production. Education will be primarily, Peter, aimed at young people. And the cliche, you know, the sort of you know, the accepted wisdom is that it's young people that are particularly excited or worried about climate change and environmental matters and things like that. Do you think that is true? Um, and, and, and if so, how do, you, how do you get it to go further up the line? Yes, I think, like, like as Martin said, I think the, the, the probably one of the core things is to educate the educators. And I think um, the Scot- Scottish government said they want to try and they want to get a ch- children on every farm in Scotland. Every child in Scotland would be on a farm um, during primary school time. And I think if we can push drive um, forward measures like that, I think it could be a huge boost for the industry. I think, yes, we've got um, younger people now who are very engaged and who are quite probably open to messages online, social media, and they're probably more likely to believe what they see their friends posting and things like that. But I think we've got a chance now to really, if we can make sure we get clear messages, concise messages we can pass out, that can show that Scottish meat is not, we're not cutting down the Amazon to feed our beasts here, we're doing it sustainably. And I think we've got a huge amount of potential here to really drive those facts and say that we've got a product here that's healthy and um, great for the environment. And uh, like Martin says, it's converting inedible forage for humans and using land that otherwise would be useful for nothing and we can grow livestock on it and produce a great product out of it. This change in emphasis or this change of thinking mindset, is it going to make big farms, Martin, more or less likely in the future? I think there's a room for both here. I mean, there's a lot of efficiencies in larger farms, but I think we've got to always remember it's about keeping people in rural areas. So there is a role. What I wouldn't like to see is it becoming any more centralised than what it is at the minute, because we know some of the larger farms are extremely efficient, but it's about particular areas like myself and further north and further west, it's about keeping people there. And that's a challenge having large enterprises there. But that, again, will come down to how future policies may be driven, how it's directed, how we can actually help that smaller um, farming unit survive and thrive, because it's not just about survival, it's about being involved in an industry that uh, wants to attract as many people as possible. Um, And the reality is, if we don't have these small farming units in in maybe the more challenging areas of Scotland, well, what would happen? Well, we wouldn't be able to produce food because fundamentally that's our main role. And we would just offset our emissions to other parts of the world that doesn't really care about climate change and the environment. And that's quite apparent. I mean, it was highlighted, you know, you, you specifically mentioning beef there, Mark. And we look what happened last March after the food service sector shut down and we're still importing a large amount of beef that came in from Poland. And of course, that was had to go on the supermarket shelf because it didn't go into the food service sector and the public really didn't want it. So they were left with it. And that was, you know, that was a real sort of, you know, sense check of where the public are. The general public are more aware of where their food comes from now, particularly off the back of COVID. And uh, I think there's more recognition now that we need to make sure that we're supporting local because that's a climate change benefit and supporting our own industries because that's an economic benefit. And that's what's going to keep people in the hills. This change of emphasis, Peter, is, is it going to make it easier for young people to get into farming? Definitely. Martin's really championed the um, Steps to Change policy um, Well, that NFUS are trying to drive and they, that we're trying to advise the Scottish Government to do. And it really is focusing on productivity and making people, uh, well, give the support payments to the people that's actually actively farming. And I think that's the key to getting young people in the industry. I've always been an advocate, I think, that to make farming an attractive industry for young people to go into, you've got to make it viable. 
And for me, throwing money and grants is fine for new entrants, but really you've got to make sure the industry that they're going into is one that is one that they can actually thrive in after the, after the grant money's run out. So the new NFUS policy is really, I think it's targeting the money going to people who's actively producing and producing them great products. And I think that's the way there's a huge amount of enthusiasm with younger people in Scottish agriculture right now, and especially in my age group. There's a huge amount of guys coming into the industry, and we need to make sure that they can go forward and can do be allowed to produce what they need to produce and be supported in that. When we're talking about policy change, well, you know, as Pete's highlighted about focusing on the active, but this is all very relevant to um, getting new entrants and the, the next generation involved in agriculture as well. At the minute, Mark, what we have is a is a a support system that's based on simply the occupational land. There's very, very limited stocking density allocations that stops you from getting that support. And that's a real challenge. And that's that's been at the forefront of a lot of the, the drop in numbers that we've had over the past number of years. What we want to do is change that policy so that that means you won't get that support unless you're actually actively farming that land. Because this is about budgets are going to be extremely tight. You know, and there's a lot of money comes into agriculture every year. And there's maybe a case for, for, for more to come in, but there's a lot of money comes in. We, that's got to be justified as well. Now, those that are active currently, it's absolutely justifiable because we're producing an affordable product that's produced sustainably that the consumer wants to, to, to take home. And but at the minute, it's there's a lot of land that's doing very, very little that's still getting that payment coming in. So so I think when it comes to a policy change, we need to recognize that we need to support those that are active. And I think that creates not only proper justification for the support, but creates opportunities for the next generation to come in. Because if somebody doesn't do the job or is not active, well, they're not going to get the support. So the only way they're going to get that support is to either farm it or croft it properly. Or there's an opportunity there, especially for some of the, the, the older generation to say, well, I'm just not able for this anymore. But if I sit back, we could still get that support coming into the farm. I could rent it out and a next generation farm farmer could come in and maybe take that on. And it, it, it creates that churn, lets somebody um, that's maybe not so fit now, maybe step back slightly, but still get an income through rent. But it still keeps the next generation getting involved in the industry. We were talking earlier about education, Peter. You know, and obviously that, that's desirable to be able to say to primary school kids or secondary school kids, look, this is what we do. The, these are the opportunities within the industry. This is, this is the, the, the effect we are genuinely having on the environment rather than possibly what you've been told in social media. How would you go about breaking down the barriers that currently exist between folk who you know, live on farms and folk who have never been on a farm and never seen a farm and have no idea what happens there? I think it's a, a challenge that's ongoing. I think we're, we're already starting the fight. And I think programmes like This Farming Life have been a great um, showcase for us to show what day-to-day farming life is like and the, the effort and the real raw like um, emotions you see the, the farmers going through to produce the food. I think it's fantastic. And I think more things like that, it's just um, to keep giving out that key messages, the simple, understandable messages that we can out there um, I think is key to really making it easy and accessible and making it understandable for people because you could go down the route of talking about sequestration and uh, about the carbon cycle and things like that but if you get too complicated people switch off so I think it's going to be keep it simple and just uh, keep driving it and just get it in the mainstream just like like they've been doing and it's been great to see programs like, like, like this farming life and there's quite a few on the go at the moment that are really quite real I would say. I, I would like to ask you a question, Martin, about the NFUS, because I think there was a perception in the past that the only people that could really afford, in terms of time and money, to get involved in the NFUS you know, in a big way and be the big hitters, etc., were the big farmers. Is that changing? Yeah, I mean, 
it's maybe been a perception at some stage, but I'm I'm certainly not um, uh, a big farmer in, in, in both sort of senses of the word. Well, that's why I was asking you to be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's about you know how you want to you know de- de- defend the industry and how you want to push for the industry. And we're a membership organisation. We've nearly nine thousand members. We're covering nine regions of Scotland. Um, and 73 branches. So it's up to the membership who, who they want to lead. So it's up to an individual. And I don't think there's ever been any barriers to stop anybody lead NFU Scotland. And, and, and I think, you know, that's maybe been proven now because I'm, I'm certainly not a, a, a large scale producer. But I think what I can bring to it is try to represent all sectors of agriculture in a passionate manner and communicate that message to those that we're trying to lobby. Because NFU Scotland is a lobbying organisation. That's what we're here to do to benefit our farmers and crofters right across Scotland. So I don't think that barriers, it's certainly not there now. If it was one there before, I would be honest and say it's not really one that crossed my mind and uh, maybe crosses other people's minds, but I don't think that's certainly not the case now. And I, and I think it's important that it's not the case. It's about trying to get the right person with the, the passion that wants to drive forward the industry in, the, in his best interest, is, is, and that's the membership that then decides that. So the size of your farm is unimportant, but what about the age? Um, Peter, what would you say to anybody young thinking of getting involved? I'd say just come along and like hear what I've got to say. Um, I've found, I've been in the Next Generation Committee, well, this is my second year starting now as chairman, and I did a year before that, and I've found nothing but positive um, reaction from the other older members I've been involved in meetings with. And like on the board in US last year, I was welcomed really made to feel really welcome and uh, really there were in a huge um, thirst to know what our thoughts were as the next generation, commi- next generation committee and like in the next generation now we're trying to hold more events to try and make it more accessible and I think this last year it's been quite tricky to have face-to-face meetings but with Zoom now we can kind of reach people in further out places and uh, hopefully do more nationwide um, meetings and things like that but no, for age, certainly I've found it to be a very welcoming organisation and one that's really keen to make sure it is relevant to the future and to future farmers. It's all good to hear. Martin Kennedy, NFUS President, thank you very much for your time. No problem at all, Mark. Thank you. And Peter Moss, same to you. Much obliged. Great. Thank you very much, Mark. You know, both Martin and Peter there spoke about getting agriculture and food production onto the school curriculum. QMS are already working on this and have developed a new education resource called Farming Food Steps. That's with a D rather than a T, Food Steps. The aim is to provide teachers and parents with the resources to deliver material on the red meat supply chain, following all the way through from farm to fork. There's also useful information about the role red meat can play as part of a healthy, balanced diet and how it impacts on the economy and the environment. If you'd like to find out more, please visit the QMS website and search for Farming Food Steps. Next week, our podcast is going to be a calving and lambing special. I'm Mark Stephen. Until then, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.